Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, It's good to see everybody. Any moms in the house? Raise those hands right up. Any moms online? Can we honor you real quick? Happy Mother's Day. Honor all the incredible moms in here. Uh, I've got two incredible moms in my life. I've got my kids' mom, Jessica, my wife, and I've got my mom, Brenda. I'm so thankful for them. Um, and I want to take a moment to honor them. And in true Pastor Jacob fashion, um, I'm going to, my mother in law, Sandy's here too, but I'm not going to razz on you today, Sandy. You, you, get, you get a pass here. I am going to razz on my wife and on my mom real quick, though, because they say, they say that you, like, if your parents do it right, you kind of marry, you like marry your mom, you marry your dad, right? And in a lot of ways, I've married my mom, like I have. I've, I've married my mom, and so on Mother's Day, it's kind of funny seeing the similarities between the two of them. Um, one of the biggest similarities is their forgetfulness. Any... Any forgetful people out there, I know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm torpedoing. Sandy, my, my mother-in-law is going to be the only one that's going to be okay with me today. My wife and my mom aren't going to talk to me. We'll just have to hang out, Sandy. Um, <laughs> they, they are forgetful. And I got to tease them a little bit. It's like whenever you have a crush on someone and you're young, that's how you show that you love them. You tease them, right? That, the, that you like them. So I'm going to tease them a little bit today. Um, they're, they're forgetful. So let me show you how my wife is forgetful. Um, we go through about four debit cards of hers every year, right? About four of them. So the other night we're, <laughs> the other night we're playing charades. Me, uh, Jessica, my cousin Jennifer, and uh, my two girls, Eden and Evelyn, were playing charades. Evelyn accidentally drops a card on the ground, a charades card, and it falls under the couch. Um, and Evelyn hops down. We turn on the light. She's looking for it, and we're all talking. She's kind of reaching her arm under, and Evelyn goes, I found something. Pulls out a debit card. The debit card that Jessica had lost, right? Pulls this thing out. Jessica's face turns red. She's like, oh my gosh, just hand it to me and like puts it down. She's like, I completely forgot. Like, must have had it in my pocket and it fell out and it went under, uh, under the couch. I just completely forgot about it. And we're like, oh yeah, just kind of, we're, we're razzing her a little bit. Evelyn hops back under the couch, just looking for the card. About 10 seconds pass. Evelyn yells, I found another one. <laughs> Kid you not. Another card in the same place. <laughs> Unbelievable. Jessica, her face got even redder, even more. She's like, Evelyn, if you find anything else, leave it under the couch. Pull nothing else out. <laughs> I don't even want to know what could be coming next. Um, so that's, it's, right, that's something that I love about Jessica. It's a, it's, a, it's a cute little quirk of Jessica's that my mom has as well. My mom is forgetful. Now, my mom, years ago, um, uh, you know, this is probably whenever she was 50, something like that, probably about 50 or so. Um, we're sitting down for a family dinner. She's sharing with everybody how she's trying to make sure that she uh, stays on her health. You know, as she's getting older, she's wanting to make sure, hey, I want to make sure I live as long as I can live. So I'm trying to stay up on my health. I'm reading articles. I actually just read an article um, that was the seven signs that you have Alzheimer's or dementia. And the good thing is I don't have any of them. Um, and we're like, mom, that's, that's wonderful. That's, well, that's good news. My sister Rachel goes, what were they? Like, what were the signs? Kid you not, you already know where it's going. Kid you not, my mom says, I can't remember. <laughs> like, well that's, well, that's not a good sign. Like, I don't know what to tell you, but that's not a good sign, right? Like, holy cow. 
Uh, <laughs> now, you may be wondering why, why are we talking about forgetfulness? Because it, it is funny how we can, you know, all of us from one degree to another can struggle with forgetfulness. We can remember some things, forget some other things. I want to see how many people in here remember this. If you have forgetfulness here, if you remember, who, who remembers using these? Landline phones. Oh, I see a lot of younger people in here who are like, what is this strange and mysterious artifact? What is, what is this? Did you get that from the Smithsonian? Like, right? Um, now, I didn't, I didn't roll with this kind of landline phone, but I do remember landline phones, right? I, I haven't forgotten them. Like, I, re, I remember these. Um, and it's fun to remember some of the little, like, quirks, right? Little quirks about things like landline phones. Um, I remember uh, it being like Russian roulette answering these bad boys before caller ID, you just had no clue who was calling in, right? It could, it could be a one-minute conversation or you could be on the phone for two hours, right? Like, you had no idea who's calling in. Um, another fun thing with landlines was that you had to have, like, a separate answering machine, right? Like, a, an actual machine that it just, just answered for you, right? And my dad, the just complete moron that he was, and I love this about him. This, this will explain a lot about me. My dad, um, he made a, <laughs> right, I'll give you a little, little peek behind the veil to Pastor Jacob. My dad recorded a answering machine message that he thought was so witty and clever, he would tell people to call our house and specifically tell us not to answer it, right? Like, let it, let it go to the machine. Let the machine get it, because he wanted people to hear his little joke. I, I can remember it to this day. This is what our, our answering machine message was. It would go to it, and then he would just say, Spring has sprung, fall has fallen. We're not home, but thanks for calling. (laughs) Genius, right? And he thought it was genius. He's like, this is so good. This is so perfect. So I remember those. I remember AOL, right? Whenever the internet started becoming a bigger thing, like having to like unplug your phone and plug your computer into the phone line and telling people like, hey, you need to get off. I need to check my mail, right? Like just the the weird things about landlines. But one thing I do miss about landlines is they were a truth teller. These things were truth teller. Let me explain. With a landline, say you have like a meal coming up at like, you know, somewhere at the strip. With a landline, you could call the person, if you're supposed to meet at 7, it's 7.15, they're out there. You could call the person, and if they picked up, you knew they were lying through their teeth. If they're like, I'm on my way, I'm, out, I'm, I'm, I'm on the way, like I'm on 77. Like, no, you ain't. <laughs> I called your landline, and you picked up, and unless you grabbed a cordless, and that thing has incredible reception, you are lying to me because you're at home. That's the whole point of the landline. It is tethered to a location, right? It's tethered to a location. Now, that whole um, idea of it being tethered to a location actually is the like plot device that kicks off one of my favorite horror movies. You guys know if you've attended here for any amount of time, I'm a pastor who likes scary movies. Um, and the whole plot of the movie, When a Stranger Calls, revolves around a landline, right? Because this babysitter, she's watching kids. It's a typical horror movie setup. She's watching these kids starts getting these threatening, menacing calls. And she's like, had enough of it. She's terrified, so she calls the police, tells them, like, trace the number that, that's on the other line with me. Trace it, see where they're calling. And do you remember, do you remember that big moment where the call comes through and she's there and she's like, hello, yes, where, where, where's the call? Where's the call? Who is it? And the police tell her, what do they tell her? 
the call is coming from inside the house. Oh, it's inside, they're inside the house, right? It's terrifying. It's, it's scary. It's creepy. It's, it's, you know, it's all the things makes you feel goosebumps. Now, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about landlines and the call coming from inside the house? I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and then I want to explain this a little bit. Listen to what Jesus says as he's teaching. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You see, in this series, we're talking about help. I'm losing my religion. People who are deconstructing, people who are doubting, people who are falling away from the faith. And last week and this week, we were going to be talking about the biggest drivers for deconstruction, the biggest thing that drives people to walk away or lose faith. Last week, we talked about the idea that the Old Testament, in particular, of Scripture is actually one of the biggest drivers for people, that they have such a hard time reconciling the things that they see in Scripture um, with the reality, and they just have a lot of questions. Um, This week, the second big driver of deconstruction, it's us. Christians. People who claim to follow Jesus. We are one of the biggest reasons people are losing their faith. The pre, uh, Pew Research Center did a poll back in, I think, around 2016, 2017, something like that, asking people across the country, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think of Christians? And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. The top three were hypocrisy, judgmental, and bigots. Top three of what people think about us. So what I'm wanting us to talk about today, what I want us to focus on today is we are so concerned as a church about what the world is doing to our kids. Oh, look at what the world's doing. Look at what the world's trying to do to us and to our kids and to my family. Look at what the world's trying to do. I would like to wager to all of us today that the biggest threat to us, to our faith, is us. The call is coming from inside the house. We're constantly looking for murderers and killers everywhere else but in our own house. And what I am saying today and what I believe I'm going to show as we walk through Scripture today is that the biggest reason that we see people fleeing from the faith has nothing to do with the world and has everything to do with our witness. has everything to do with the way that we live out what we should be living out. The call is coming from inside the house. Let me tell you, that is not how it should be, Cornerstone, and that's how it's not going to be here. I believe we're already doing such a good job at this, but man, I want us to make sure we never deviate from this. If people, I want people, if they were to do a poll of Cornerstone Church, just Cornerstone, and ask people what's the first uh, thing that comes to your mind when you think of Christians, I will take it all day long if they say, crazy, illogical, nuts. (laughs) I can be like, yeah, okay, I can sign off on those. Yeah, (laughs) little nuts. Little crazy. Some of the stuff we believe, eh, sounds kind of sounds kind of weird, right? Sounds kind of weird. You can say that about us all day long, but come hell or high water, you're going to say we're unloving. You're never going to be able to say that. That will never be one of the top three words that you use. You'll never be able to say judgmental 
or hypocrite. You won't be able to say those words about Cornerstone Church. So you'll be able to question our logic, but you will never be able to question our love. That's where we need to be, not just as Cornerstone Church, but as the church. Now, two things I want to say as we dive in today. First off, hashtag not all Christians, right? Hashtag not all churches. I'm fully aware of that. There are incredible churches out there, incredible Christians who are doing amazing, amazing work reaching people for Jesus. So no, I'm not saying everybody is bad. Of course, that's not the case. But we do need to talk about the bad instances that we see because there are plenty. And then the second thing I want to mention as we start in today, normally, um, normally whenever I preach, I try to make my sermons be an all skate. <laughs> like they're applicable for everybody. If you're a believer, if you're a non-believer, it's going to hit you. Um, today, I believe that to be the case, but I want to just say from the onset that I am specifically focusing on Christians today. For like the first two-thirds of today's sermon, if you are someone who claims Jesus Christ, this is specifically for you, and I am not preaching at you today. I am talking with you today because I'm in on it. <laughs> this is me too. This is not me preaching at you. This is a reminder that all of us need, a reminder that all of us need that we're going to get from God's word today. And it's a reminder that I believe we need because sometimes we can, we can forget who we are and where we're from. We can just forget it. If you're like me and you've ever had periods in your, time, uh, in your life where you're losing weight, isn't that first day of a diet just magical? Isn't it? Like, it's, the, it's by far the best day of the diet is day one. <laughs> you're the most motivated. You're like, I'm eating special K okay, in the morning. I'm doing a salad for lunch. I'm doing the plain chicken breast for dinner. And you just feel like fitness is my lifestyle. Like, this is, by the time the day's over, you got to walk in. You're feeling up here, right? And so you get on social media and you're kind of scrolling through and you're looking at some of your friends' posts and you see where they went to dinner that night and you see the, the dish that they were eating. And right, it, because you've been so good all day, you who just yesterday were eating 4,000 calories of pizza and donuts and everything like that, suddenly today, less than 24 hours into your diet, you're looking at pictures of your friends' meals and going, huh, wonder if they know how many calories are in that. <laughs> Well, I guess not everyone can have fitness be such a priority, such as myself. Like, I guess uh, it's just the burden I have to bear, right? We can so quickly start putting ourselves up here. And you know what's incredible is that first crashing back down to earth moment. Whenever you're getting ready for bed, just, just taking your shirt off, getting ready for bed, and you walk by the mirror, and you see yourself, and you're like, yep, never mind. <laughs> like, all, all of the pride that has been built up through the day, whew, Boom, down, like it's, it's gone now, right? You instantly have that humbling moment where you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's where I'm at right now. I haven't been doing this for a long time. This is actually where I'm at. Do you know what scripture describes itself as in the book of James? A mirror. A mirror. Something that we can look at, we can look at and realize, wow, I need to fix this. Wow, that's not as good as I actually thought that it was. Wow, this is an area where I am way too proud and I need to check myself. So we're going to look at scripture today. We're going to get that reminder that we need, that reminder of humility, because let me tell you, that is why church hurt exists. A lack of humility. When humility is absent, hurt will be present. When humility is absent, hurt will be present. I am so thankful for our church that I can say with confidence, we are doing a great job at this. In so many ways, Cornerstone is an intake center. 
We are a hospital from people who have been hurt by, by other organizations, by, by people who claim Jesus and may even mean really well, but have just hurt, <laughs> just hurt people. And I love the fact that we are a, a receiving center for these people. It's both a thing that brings me great pride and great heartbreak, that that's what we are known as, a place where people can come and heal from hurt because of teaching that they've endured that has told them to hate or to marginalize certain people, of, of places where they were told, hey, welcome home. Oh, wait, what now? No, you can't actually volunteer, and you're not really like a member of the church. You're kind of out there. Just clean yourself up. Then you can come in. A place that says, hey, no, your doubts actually aren't totally welcome here. You kind of just need to believe what we believe, and if you don't buy in, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe find another place. All of these things I've just said, can I tell you, they're not theoretical or hypothetical. They're actual. We have numerous people in here, numerous people watching online right now who these aren't like, well, uh, yeah, maybe one church here or there. No, people in this room who've experienced those things, those exact things. This isn't hypothetical. This is actual people being hurt. Now, like I mentioned earlier, these two things can be true. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yes, there are churches out there that incredibly help people, but we have to admit that there are churches out there that have immensely hurt people and Christians that have immensely hurt people. What do we think we're doing by like trying to save our pride by acting like, oh, well, those people took it too far and they, they took it the wrong way and churches don't actually hurt people? Yes, they do. Yes, Christians do hurt people. And honestly, if we don't have the humility to understand that and to admit that, we as a church will start to hurt more people than we help. It all starts, it's all grounded in humility. If we're not careful, we will start to find out that the call is coming from inside the house. So let's get some humility today, and we get that by going to God's word. I want us to work back through Matthew chapter 7, those first five verses that we just read. Let me read verses one and two to you one more time. Jesus says, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated. Man, this should be such a wake up call to us for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. If that doesn't send a shiver up your spine, I don't know what will. Because here's what I know, if you're anything like me, you stink at setting standards. <laughs> you stink at it. Because if you're anything like me, your natural default, this is your standard, grace for me, truth for thee. I'm going to give myself grace all the day long because I know my circumstances. I know what I'm going through. You don't understand. God gives his toughest battles to, to warriors like me, right? Like I'm, I'm going through it. But these people out here, oh man, someone needs to correct them. Someone needs to tell them the truth about what they're doing, right? We stink at setting standards. Ever notice? <laughs> this, is just, this is just true. Ever notice how the most hated sins are never yours? right? All the sins that are an abomination before the Lord and the Lord detests this, they're never yours. It's the other people's. But you know, greed is more of a thing that God's kind of like, eh, whatever. Gossip, God, God understands gossip to a little degree, but whew, this sin, oh man, God does not like that. Uh, let me give you an, an actual real world example of this, of how, how we think we're, we're standing up for the word. We're being 
faithful to the word. We need more Christians to be faithful to the word. Let me show you how real life example of how people who say that actually backtrack on it because we're just so inconsistent and we stink with our standards. 1900 to 1970, the divorce rate in the United States was about 25%. Pretty low, considering um, 25%. Of course, you'd have a year here and a year there where it would be a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but pretty much 70 straight years of 25%. And then all of a sudden, in the 70s and the 80s, boom, it took off. It doubled. By the 90s, it was around 52, 53%. Now it's, it's come back down in more recent years, but think about that 52 to 53%. Now, this is what's so interesting about it. Back whenever not a lot of people were having them, and mostly the people who were having them were outside of the church, guess what kind of sermons you heard about divorce? Hell and brimfire, right? Divorce is the worst, and it's terrible, and our, our society's destroying marriage, and oh, it's just detestable, it's an abomination, before Lord, it's awful. That's the kind of sermons you heard. Now, I'm not saying divorce is great, right? I mean, it's very clear as you read scripture that God wants people to join together in marriage and stay married. Like, that's, that's pretty clear in scripture. But you would hear sermons completely full of truth with little to no grace. But as soon as things started to turn in 1970, and suddenly the people getting divorces aren't the evil world, but my congregants, my friends... Me, the pastor, as soon as it's people that I know and it's people that I love and suddenly I have context and I know who they are and I know the story, guess what the sermon started to focus on a little bit more? Grace. Isn't that funny? What a coincidence, huh? (laughs) Did God's word change? No, but we do. We change all the time because we stink at setting standards. We're, we're just, we're terrible at it. We try to give ourselves all of the grace and other people all of the truth. Even think about how we talk about it, right? We talk about other people and we'll say they're living in sin. Oh, but they're living in sin. That's different. They're living in it. They're living in it. Oh, me? My gossip? My greed? My gluttony? That's a struggle. Struggling. I'm struggling against it, Right? We make it sound like other people are just living in it, like, woo, sin fest every day. I can't wait to wake up and sin today. But us, man, we're fighting every day, and the devil's coming at us, and we're like, God, please help me. I'm struggling. We, we use euphemisms like this to make ourselves feel better because we're so inconsistent. We stink at setting standards. That's why we need this. We need this reminder. We need this mirror to look at. And see Jesus' words. And you know what Jesus tells us, what we just read in Matthew 7? Jesus is telling us, you don't see as clearly as you think you do. In fact, I'm going to ask, let's, let's just say that together so we can just declare this truth today. I don't see, I don't see. as clearly yes. as I think I see. Because you don't. <laughs> and neither do I. You just don't. You think you have such a good view on what other people's issues are, and you don't have an idea of what's going on there. You just don't, and neither do I. My, my mom, uh, years ago, got my Aunt Jeannie a gift for Christmas. I've shared this before. She got her a gift for Christmas, a sign with hanging letters that said Noel, N-O-E-L. Gave it to my Aunt Jeannie. My Aunt Jeannie's looking at it, holding it up. And, you know, it's right there, and she's like, wow, Brenda, this is beautiful. But she's looking at it kind of confused. She's like, this is gorgeous, but um, who's Leon? 
Aunt Jeannie was reading it backwards, not N-O-E-L-L-E-O-N, right? She's like, what in the world? And so to my Aunt Jeannie in that moment, she's looking at my mom thinking, this lady's nuts. Like, what? who in the world is Leon? Why would I hang, why would I hang this up in my house? My Aunt Jeannie was so certain she was seeing it right. She was so certain that she had a clear picture of what was going on, and she was completely incorrect. We stink at setting standards. And since that's the case, because we don't see as clearly as we think we see, if that is true, which it is, we see Jesus affirm that truth, we don't see as clearly as we think we do, that means this. That means that that thing that we hear all the time in, in church world and in Christianity, love the sinner, hate the sin, that we need to trash that idea because that is a garbage idea. What we need to do is love the sinner, hate our sin. Love the sinner. Love everyone you encounter and hate your sin. Again, don't take my word for it. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 7, 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you got a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You see, we don't see clearly. We don't see clearly. That means we need to love the sinners and hate our own sin because the only sin I see clearly is mine. That's it. The only sin that I truly know is my own sin. Now, I want you to understand this today because I don't want you leaving here, posting on Facebook. Pastor Jacob said no one can ever judge me. We're not supposed to judge at all. Not what I'm saying. <laughs> like you, you are supposed to judge. Scripture in, in this same section of verses, in Matthew 7, just a little bit later, Matthew, or Jesus, tells us, he says, hey, you judge a tree by the fruit that it produces. Like, you're, we're supposed to do that. Like, we're supposed to be able to judge, but there's such a key distinction here, and this is what we're talking about today. What we can judge are actions, not intentions. We can never judge intent. We just can't, because we only know a fraction. So that means all that we can ever actually see, and to a degree even judge, is someone's actions. And that's imperfect. It's not totally clear. We can't really get a good picture of what's going on there. That's why the only person's sin in the entire world that we can judge both action and intention is our own. By the way, can I just say, if you're anything like me, hating your own sin should be a full-time job. We act like it's a part-timer, like, oh, 10 hours a week, but let me focus the rest of my time on correcting every person that I encounter around here and telling them what's up and giving them a piece of my mind. If you're anything like me, killing the sin in your life, mastering the sin in your life is a 40-hour-a-week job with overtime available, right? Like, if, if you're anything like most people I've ever met, it's a full-time job. And it's the only sin that you really know, I know me. I don't know what other people are going through. We talk about this story all the time, and it's because it's so pertinent and relevant. The rich young ruler and the thief on the cross, these two people in Scripture who seem so diametrically opposed to each other. The rich young ruler is this man who Jesus encounters, who has been keeping all of the Ten Commandments since she was young, just this incredible guy. All of us would laud him, would say, hey, this dude needs to be a disciple. This guy's got it going on. He's, he's the got it all together. And Jesus, he, he misses Jesus. This guy who all of us would say, from what I see, this dude's got it. And the thief on the cross, in humility, this guy who, who, who was crucified because of the things that he did, he finds Jesus. 
And we clearly would condemn the one and praise the other. So again, how clearly are we actually seeing things? It's almost like God knew what he was talking about when he said in 1 Samuel 16, you guys look at the outside appearance. I don't. All you see is action. All you see is appearance. I see intention. I see the heart. I see the person perfectly. You do not see them. We just, we don't see clear. And because we don't see clear, that's why the sermons you hear preach at Cornerstone, as much as possible, Pastor Brenda, Pastor Donnie, myself, we are going to preach sermons that just point to Jesus. We just point to Jesus and we clear the way to the cross because guess what? Part of my job description is not to convict you. That is not a pastor's job in his congregation's life. It's already filled. (laughs) That position has been filled. When Jesus talks about the job description, the tasks that the Holy Spirit will be doing, one of the top ones is that he will convict the world of sin and truth. So I have to wonder, whenever we feel like we have to be the one constantly convicting the world of sin and truth, do we actually, do we actually believe this? I know it's usually the hardliners who, who are the ones wanting to convict of sin and truth, and I have to wonder, do you truly believe Scripture? Because if you do... God is handling that. (laughs) If you truly believe scripture, that's the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin and truth, not your pastors. You see, we can't, we can't even that whole idea of of love the sinner, hate their sin. We can't, (laughs) we can't do it. There's not a human alive who can perfectly do that, who can say, yep, I'm going to love the sinner, but somehow I'm able to separate them from the sin that they're committing and hate that totally, but love them totally. We can't do it. Only God can do that because only God sees action and sees intention perfectly. We don't. Do you want to know that's why Jesus, this is, this is accounted in all four gospel accounts of Jesus cleansing the temple. It's the one time that Jesus ever seemed like, whoa, this dude's lit. Like, this dude's livid. It's the only time we see that in the gospels, and it's in all four gospels, but guess what? Jesus cleanses the temple by himself. Jesus, who includes his disciples in literally every other thing that he does in ministry. He sends them out and gives them the power to cast out demons. He sends them out to heal people. He sends them out to do these incredible, miraculous things. But the one thing, the one thing that Jesus is like, now, grab a seat. You don't get to do this, is the holy, righteous anger. The convicting, the no, this is is wrong. This is wrong. It's the one time he sidelines his disciples So why are we so quick to say, hey, can I grab a whip? Can I get in on this? Can I flip some tables too? We have no business doing it. None. There's a reason Jesus never included his disciples in it, and he doesn't include us in it. So in layman's terms, can I kindly tell all of us today, myself included, worry about yourself, (laughs) right? Worry about yourself. Just worry about yourself. I'm not saying that if you see someone going on a wrong path, I'm not saying if your kid's going the wrong path or if your spouse, I'm not saying you just, well, you know, Pastor Jacob just said, let them go. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is worry about yourself. You cannot help anyone well until you help yourself well. You cannot do it. Until you truly help yourself, you can't help anybody. Again, don't take my word for it. Jesus, Matthew 7, 5 says, you hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck 
in your friend's eye. One thing I just want to point out from this, too, because this is so important. Notice what Jesus says. He says, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see clearly. He doesn't say, so you will see clearly. It's a very important difference in words. A lot of us want it to say, so. Like, yeah, let me get the stuff out of my life so that I can correct you. <laughs> so I can correct you and feel good about it because I'm up here now, right? Because I'm, I'm back up here. I'm feeling puffed up, and now I can correct you. And Jesus is saying, no, no. You don't get right yourself so you can go fix other people. You get right yourself because that is the reward in and of itself. You getting right. You being right with me. You pursuing holiness for yourself. You see, I, if, you are, if you're someone who you've been waiting for me to teach on parenting, right? I, I've been pastor here since mid, mid to late August of 2020. I've been lead pastor, and I haven't done a parenting series yet. And you're like, oh, man, I can't wait for whenever they announce a parenting series. Can I tell you, don't hold your breath. <laughs> I just don't hold your breath. You want to know why? Because I need to watch a few parenting series. I need to be teaching on it. I need to be watching them. I'm still learning. I got an eight, a five, and a two-year-old, right? Like, it's, <laughs> I'm still learning. I'm still figuring it out. I can't really help somebody until I help myself. I just can't. How silly would it be for me to be up here and be like, oh, yes, uh, let's turn in our Bible so I can crack an egg of knowledge on all of your heads because I am such a genius at parenting, let me give you my wisdom as my kids are acting a fool back in Cornerstone Kids. Wouldn't that just be ridiculous, right? See, I'm not preaching a parenting series for a while. I don't know when. Because I still need help. We can't help anybody well until we help ourselves. That's why our groups that we have, like Grief Share and Divorce Care, are so powerful. Because these are people who have been through this stuff, helped themselves by partnering with God, by learning about grief in a healthy way, by dealing with loss in a healthy way. They've gone through this, and now because they have helped themselves, they're able to actually help other people. Can you imagine how terrible it would be if we took people who were in the middle of their hurt, who haven't been helped by God, and we just thrust them in and said, hey, lead this group? Are you kidding? Talk about malpractice, right? And again, this stuff, this is not theoretical or hypothetical. I see this stuff happen all the time, and it happens to people um, with really good intentions, right? We want to help the world. Like, like we want to help the world. We want to reach out and show, man, there's so many people who are lost, and we want to help them. I get that. But, man, with the issues, with the church hurt that churches have caused, you know what the world's saying? They're like, yeah, no, we're good. Thanks. <laughs> like, looks like you guys could use some help, though. If I'm just being honest, like, looks like you guys could maybe use a little bit of the own help that you're trying to offer out to me. Let me give you an example of this real quick. And I, this is not a condemnation. I used to say things like this. So if you've ever said this before, please don't feel like I'm condemning you today. I'm not. Um, but this is what it looks like when someone tries to help before they've been helped themselves. I've seen this happen. Pastor Brenda's seen this happen where uh, been at a funeral, young mother, 30 years old, dies of an overdose, leaves a 10-year-old behind, little girl just completely and utterly distraught, has lost her mom, and a well-meaning, I'm not saying these, that people are, are, are malintent or anything like that, but a well-meaning Christian who isn't very far along in knowing truth comes along and tries to encourage the person but says something so harmful. Says to the little 10-year-old girl, sweetie, hey, don't, don't be sad, don't be sad. You, you want to know why? Your daddy, your mommy, 
they're not here and they're not here for this reason because God needed another angel. God just needed another angel, so he just took your mommy home, took your daddy home. They think they're helping, but because they haven't helped themselves, they haven't grown in their knowledge of faith, all they are doing is creating in this little girl's mind the most terrible, awful God you can imagine. A God who is so obsessed with himself that he takes a 30-year-old mom because he needs one more voice in his angelic choir to sing him praises. More than this little girl needs a mom. You get what I mean? If we do not help ourselves, we can't help nobody. We hurt people. Me and my wife know of, of a family who's gone through stuff like this. Who They've lost a, a, a one-year-old, and they've had people try to give them very Christian answers for why this happened, and they can't reconcile it. <laughs> they can't understand it. They can't grapple with it. We help nobody well until we help ourselves. So what that means is if you are a Christian, you're, you're a Christ follower. Like I said, I'm trying to talk to the Christians for this first whole, whole part of the sermon. If you are a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, what that means is, and I know Jesus, full of grace, full of truth, and that's our aim. That's our goal. That's where we want to be too. We want to be full of grace and full of truth. But can I tell you, if you're a Christian and you still feel like, oh, whenever it comes to my knowledge and my grasp of Scripture and of God, it's still lacking in some areas, can I tell you, you always lead with grace then. Just default to it. Always lead with grace. And this is why. This is why. This is so important. Grace is something that's just given. It's just been given to us. You did nothing to earn it. You didn't take an exam and pass it to get it. You didn't study to get grace. You asked Jesus for it, and he gives it to you. That's it. It's that clean. And that's how it's supposed to be with you and other people. You just give it because it's been given to you. It takes no skill to have grace. It takes no knowledge to have grace. You just give a gift that you have been given. That is it. That's why you lead with grace because truth is not just given. We meet truth, we meet Jesus, and then we get to know truth by growing in truth. You don't know everything about faith the second that you receive grace. You don't know all the truth the second you receive grace. You've met truth, and truth has given you grace, but you need to grow in truth. You need to figure out truth. You need to read scripture and spend time in prayer and spend time in community to find out what truth is. So that's why you don't lead with truth because quite frankly, you may not know truth. And you say something like God needed another angel and you hurt people instead of helping people. Lead with grace. Lead with grace. Now, um, I'm going to include in the non-Christians in this last little part. If you've been listening, I sure hope you have, right? Otherwise, you're probably incredibly bored right now. But in this last little bit, I don't want to just speak to Christians. I want to speak to non-Christians uh, as well. And what I want us to look at is an admission that all Christians should be able to affirm. And this is the truth about us. So if you're in the room and you're a, a non-Christian or a doubter or someone who's deconstructing, or maybe you put on a really good face and all of us would s just assume you're Christian, but really... You're having some doubts. You've heard of church hurt. Your friends have been hurt by the church, and it's, it's just throwing you off. This is the truth of the matter that all of us who claim the name of Jesus should be able to admit about our own condition and our own state. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, starting verse 21. I've discovered this principle of life, and when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do 
what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? This admission from Paul is something all Christians should be able to say to the world. We are not as good as we like to think we are. <laughs> Except the moms. The moms, you guys are perfect, right? Happy Mother's Day. Right? You, guys are, you guys are perfect. <laughs> but can I just say we're not as good as we like to think that we are? We're just, we're not. It's incredible what a little bit of time and a little bit of pride will do in our hearts. Puff us up, make us think we're better than we are, make us forget where we were when God found us, right? Makes me think my parents uh, had these dogs, Sinna and Spike, little Shimba Inus. They looked like little foxes. Sinna was the, the, the girl dog, muscular, always boss Spike, the little scrawny guy around, just completely worked him over, beat him around. Um, and the only time that Spike would ever act dominant, would ever act, was whenever I picked him up. If I picked him up around Senna, suddenly this little frail dog that's like, eh, you know, suddenly he would start showing his teeth, acting all rough and tough, right? Because I was holding him. He got a little bit away from the situation, and suddenly he was, yeah, look at me. Don't mess with me, right? And what I want to say is I believe we do the same thing. We forget where we were when Jesus found us and picked us up, and we get a little bit high, we get a little bit far from the situation, and we are now growling at the world. Oh, look at you people. Look at, look at what you're trying to do to my family. Look at what you're trying to do to my kids. Oh, this, this perverse, terrible world. This world's just trying to steal all of us. We're just growling at everybody. And sometimes it takes us being sat back down to go, oh, shoot, that's me. I'm a part of all this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not good on my own. I'm not wonderful on my own. I'm not righteous on my own. Some of us need to remember where we were when Jesus found us and can I say, still finds us. Who are you kidding to act like, yeah, I remember where I was when Jesus found me back there, but look at how great I am now. It's been straight and narrow ever since. Come on, man. He's still finding you. He's still finding you. Like, like we talked about a few weeks ago, maybe it's not on the marshmallow path anymore. Maybe it's on the Reese's peanut butter cup path now, right? But you got your flavor of sin and you like it. He's still finding you. We need to remember where we were. And we need to remember the truth that, yes, the world needs Jesus and the church needs Jesus. We need Jesus. Last thing I want to say, this is, again, this is what Paul just wrote. Romans seven twenty four. what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Those words are written by a man. Paul's conversion to Jesus was around 33 to 35 A.D. The book of Romans was written around 55 to 57 A.D., these words are written by a man who's had 20 years of faithful service to Jesus, 20 years of starting churches all over the Mediterranean rim, of being beaten for Jesus, whipped for Jesus, stoned for Jesus, nearly killed for Jesus, shipwrecked for Jesus, and Paul is saying, I'm a miserable person. Apart from Jesus, there's, just no, there's nothing good in me apart from him. Who can save me from this life that seems so dedicated to sin? That's Paul saying it, not someone who is foreign to the faith. What this shows is that we still need Jesus. No matter how far down the road you are, you need him. You need him. I need him. I, I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come back up on stage. As they do, I just want to share one last story with you guys. My, my grandpa Mason uh, 
James Mason, one of the most amazing men you'll ever meet. Just an incredible, incredible guy. Um, he lived to be 96. Shocking. Like, that's just, that's nuts, right? Lived to be 96. As he was getting close to the end of his life, my mom was visiting him uh, really often. One of the times that she went and met with him, he said something that was just very unexpected for someone who's 96 years old to say. Um, and this is someone who, you know, he, he's been following Jesus most of his life. He's a pastor. Um, just an awesome guy. And, and again, he's 96. But as he was talking with my mom, he said, you know what, Brenda, I just, I really wish I could talk to my dad. The things I'm going through, getting ready to pass to the other side and go to heaven, I just, I so wish I could talk to him right now. 96 and still needs to talk to his dad. I don't care how far down the faith journey you are. In fact, the farther down you are, the more you need to talk to your dad. We still need him. Don't think for a second that you've been so puffed up, that you've been away from it for so long that, man, I'm up here now and I, can, I see so clearly now. I see your sin and I see your sin. And, ooh, man, I'm, I'm up here and everyone else. We need him. We need him. We all need to come to the altar, to humbly kneel and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. On my own, I'm nothing. On your own, on my own, I am, I am devoted to sin without you. I need your help. And when we do that, when we humble ourselves, I can promise you, we will be people who help, not hurt. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you for the example of his humility. Help us to model that in everything we do. To model his humble servanthood to come to the altar and admit the areas that we have been wrong, that we have thought too highly of ourselves and forgotten where we were when you picked us up and offered us new life. Help us to never, ever, ever forget that as we deal with the people around us, leading with your grace and pushing them towards you, the truth. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.